Sarah Schultz shared with Roy and I a picture that was taken when we came here. Gosh, I don't know how many years ago that would have been, but it was when John was ordained to ministry, and uh, it was rather revealing. <laughs> so it it is great to be with you. Uh, as you look for Psalm 63, which is our focus this morning, I just wanted to say a word of introduction to the passage. And our focus this morning is going to be on spiritual intimacy, because we're living in a world that is more and more detached from one another and from God. Intimacy is not just in our language as a culture anymore. And let me give you just a couple of examples. We're told that we're living in an age of alienation. If I say Ferguson, Missouri, immediately some pictures are going to come to your mind. If I say political rallies, pictures of unrest coming to your mind. We're living also in a more and more impersonal world. Lori and I were at a restaurant last night, and as we looked out around us, it was a little disconcerting to see how many tables were there with people interacting with their phones rather than each other. And I can give you perhaps a, a living, uh, bigger living picture of someone who recently actually died, Muhammad Ali. And I was thinking about the kind of attention we gave to this uh, individual who has had many praiseworthy things about him and certainly a great boxer. But it, uh, listen to a interview that was given by his wife, and she explained how Ali was a Muslim, and how even though Parkinson's had taken so much of his life away from him, that he would willingly and gladly give his signature out, which normally athletes of his stature would charge a lot of money, but he would give these free to people and the reason why is so that he might inherit eternal life with Allah. I thought, how sad that he desired a life of eternity with a God who could not give him intimacy. And these cultural forces all around us are leaving us empty and unfulfilled. We long for real intimacy. We long for spiritual intimacy because that's why, that's how we were created. So in light of that, let's look at Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. 
I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that as we come to grips with this psalm, that you will open our hearts and minds to have that longing that David had, a longing to know you intimately, richly, in a genuine way. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a number of places that I love to go to, uh, places to travel around the world, particularly we haven't ever been to Europe, so that's on my list. And uh, it would be wonderful things to see, of course, in Europe. But one of the places I would really love to see is the Sistine Chapel. And if you are in the Sistine Chapel, and if you're looking up at the ceiling, you'll see a series of pictures. Each one is about 18 feet by 9 feet. And there are 27 of these pictures on the ceiling. Uh, they're about three wide and nine pictures long, which gives you some sense of the scope of the ceiling. And one of the central panels is particularly famous. It's called... Michelangelo's creation of Adam. Adam is on the left, his hands held up, his finger is reaching out and almost touching God's finger. God's pictured on the right, also seated and portrayed in a human form. And if you read the, the historians, the art historians, they all pretty much says that God is giving the spark of life to Adam. But for me, it's more about God knowing Adam and Adam knowing God in a way that speaks of their intimacy. Adam is naked and not embarrassed. He's not afraid of God. He's reaching out to God. He's eager for relationship. He's longing for intimacy. And that's what I see happening in Psalm 63. David is longing for deeper and deeper intimacy with his God. And you may say, well, is that possible? Because maybe in your experience, God is close, but not so much intimate. Maybe in your experience, God feels not so close because maybe you feel you're not worthy to be very close to him. Perhaps there's a failure from your past that creates a wall and feeling like you can be intimate with this God. But this psalm tells us that we've been created for intimacy with the living God. And therefore, we need to cultivate and seek out that intimacy. So how is it possible? Well, it's possible for several reasons. The first is that God is personal. 
Look at verse 1. O God, you are my God. You are my God. You know, that's covenantal language. God's promise was, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What's God saying? He's saying, this is how I relate to you. This is how I relate to man, through a covenant. My relationship to you is bound in conditions and promises. Uh, the condition is, I will have a relationship with you if you will place your faith and trust in me, in Christ, the Redeemer. What are the promises of the covenant? Well, the promises are, I will provide a Redeemer. God says, I'll give, forgive you your sin. I will clothe you with my Redeemer's righteousness. I'll give you a new heart so that all things are new. You'll become my sons and daughters and be adopted into my family. I'll be your God. From that point on, we'll have fellowship forever. And that sounds pretty wonderful. But again, how do we have intimacy with an infinite, holy, transcendent God? Because he's personal. He interacts with us as a person. We pray and actually talk to him, as we did this morning. And he can talk to us. We worship him and love him. He rejoices in us and loves us. He relates to us not randomly, but on the basis of his personality. He's changeless. He's loving. He's kind. He's good. Isn't that what we see David doing here? He's talking to God. You are my God. I earnestly seek you. I will praise you. And he voices that in real concrete language here. He talks about in verse 2, his power and his glory. And in verse 3, his love. There is deep, mutual, close, tender intimacy. That's intimacy. Our granddaughter is Olivia. She is two and a half, going on ten. And um, Olivia is a little capital P person. And I love it when, when I see her, she runs up to me and, and says, Hi, Poppy. She puts her arms around me to hug me. And then she takes my hand and says, Come over here. Do this. And she gives me commands and orders and how I'm going to play with her. She communicates to me. She shows me her love. She learns how to express affection. And as she gains a vocab vocabulary to say, I love you, Poppy, her entire emerging, her entire emerging personality is engaged in showing that love to me. God may be infinite and holy and transcendent, but he's close and he's personal and he's communicative. And he fully discloses himself through his personality to us as he relates to us. And just like little Olivia, who thrills my heart, this personal God thrills my heart. 
And that's why David could say, earnestly, I seek you. Now, I know that you're a, a church that has been well taught over the years. But the danger is that it's easy to rest on that stored up reservoir of knowledge that we've been taught and to allow that to suffice for our interaction with the living God. So I want to challenge your thinking this morning. We need to long, continue longing for God. We need to keep deepening that relationship with our God. We can't rest on mere knowledge of God, but we need to grow in our relationship with God. It's sort of the difference between a more cerebral relationship with the Lord versus a more relational relationship. And it's not that it's either or, it's both and. And also, intimacy is possible because God can be trusted. In verse 2, David tells us that he's seen the Lord in the sanctuary. And then we're told what he saw in the sanctuary. He says, I saw your power. I saw your glory. I saw your love, which he says is better than life. In other words, Extraordinary love. Amazing love. And if intimacy is based on trust, then David has a lot of reasons why he can trust his God. And we get into his mind a little bit more by the help that we're given in the uh, superscription, the little introduction that's given for Psalm 63. And if you'll notice, it says, The Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. Well, how does that help us? When was that, that he was in the desert of Judah? Well, perhaps it was when he was running from King Saul. However, the problem with that is that in verse 11, he clearly identifies himself as the king during this period of time. So it seems a better fit that David was referring to the time in the wilderness when he was running from Absalom. Absalom not only had it in for David, but he also wanted to overtake his rule. And Absalom was not one of the most stellar persons in the Bible. He was guilty also of murdering his brother Amnon. And so we shouldn't uh, give a pass to David in any sense because there's brokenness in his family, there's brokenness in his life. But through it all, David sees who God is through God's discipline in his life, through God's power over difficult situations that he's gone through, where people turned against him, through God's love where God restored David and loved him through times of grieving you will see God really is not just uh, a God who shows himself in the good times, but he is a God who shows himself even in the wilderness, even in the desert. God uses the wilderness in lots of people's lives in Scripture 
a couple come to my mind are Abraham and, of course, Moses, who spent his 40 years in the wilderness, and John the Baptist, and, of course, Jesus. They were all relegated to times in the wilderness where God was dealing with them in significant, straightforward ways. These men all logged a time in the wilderness. Why? Because God had things to teach them there. And if you call God my God, you too are going to log time in the wilderness. Not the desert, but the wilderness of financial hardship. The wilderness of betrayal by friends. Maybe it will be the, the wilderness of seeing your child wander for a time from the Lord. Maybe it will be the wilderness of chronic pain or death of a loved one. These are all times when God desperately reaches into our lives and wants to say something important to us. He wants us to come to him and reach out to him in ways that demonstrate that he is close, he's personal. He wishes to have intimacy with us so that he can be our God. In my first church, uh, my first church plant in Springfield, Missouri, I remember one of the wilderness wanderings that I experienced. After eight years of successfully planting that church, after seeing the church grow and mature and seeing the Lord use the church in some huge ways in people's lives that came through those doors, and after seeing the Lord use these believers, reach out and lead other people to the Lord, the Lord had done some great things in that church. But I remember an elders meeting where one elder spoke up and said, we need a new pastor, someone with charisma, someone with a type A personality. Well, no secret, I'm not a pastor with charisma and I don't have a type A personality, but I never knew those to be the requirements for a pastor. But and as, as I later found out, this particular elder had some real issues that were going on in his life at the time, which I was not aware of. But he did manage to muster a group of, of people in the church who were, who he found in agreement with him. And six months later, I left. Despondent, defeated. But the next months were some of the best in my life because I ran to God. I longed for Him. I longed for Him to take care of me. I longed to tell Him how I was feeling. I longed to have Him lead me and show me who He was. And He did all those things. I felt close to Him. I felt that intimacy that we've been talking about this morning in ways that I hadn't felt before. Trust is what God asks you to do when you find yourself in the wilderness. Trust in God is what will see you through those wilderness travels. And you'll grow through it, and you'll grow closer to God through it, and you'll experience real intimacy with God as you go through those wilderness travels. And then lastly, intimacy is possible because 
God really does care about you and about me. Look at verse 7 and 8. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. When David is say, what David is saying is that God cares about me in concrete ways. Intimacy is not just based on mere theory. It's not just a doctrinal statement that sounds pretty good. It's God in action. It's God's right hand upholding me, doing something actively, concretely. Read David's life. It's full of crisis. But God sorts it all out over his timing. He sorts it out when we turn to him in repentance, when we sin. When David committed his failure with Bathsheba, God provided a Nathan, a Nathan to speak truth into his life. And he sorts it out when we're being assaulted by hard things. When David was confronted by Saul and his enemies, God provided a Jonathan, a man who loved David dearly as a true and loyal friend. That's concrete care, not just words, not just well wishes. No wonder David could rely upon the intimacy of his God. No wonder he could experience that true quality of intimacy. David has a number of responses that, that clue us into that reality. It says in verse 5 that he's satisfied at the deepest levels. In verse 5, he praises God with song. In verse 6, he is calm. He's on his bed remembering God, thinking about the ways God, the ways in which God has acted in his life. Verse 7 says, he's confident. My soul clings to you. You hold me up. This is the language of intimacy. It runs in through the entire psalm. It runs throughout the scripture. What those responses say to me is that intimacy deals with my heart at the very deepest levels. The more I know my God, the more I am who I'm, who I'm created to be. Intimacy launches us into deeper and deeper friendship with God. Intimacy makes us more and more vulnerable to the one who loves us unconditionally. I've been working with men in our church who are what we've called emerging leaders, men who, who have some of the qualities that would enable them in time and growth and maturity to become leaders in the church and God's kingdom. One of the things we've encouraged them in is to realize that uh, as they relate to others in the church, that their vulnerability will be used by God because we're all broken people. And God uh, uses people uh, we give them great pictures of those in the scripture who've had brokenness uh, and how God used those men in leadership. So it shouldn't surprise us that 
God makes us more and more vulnerable because we have this closer and closer relationship with him that is open, that is inviting, that is restful. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Augustine understood intimacy. So how are you going to pursue intimacy? I want to suggest two T's this morning. Talk and time. By talk, I mean develop your prayer language. Be genuine when you pray. What's really going on? Not what you think God wants to hear, but what's really going on in your heart and your life right now? What are the temptations you are facing? For men, maybe it's your temptation with wandering eyes. Maybe the temptation for a woman is misplaced priorities. Whatever your temptations are, be honest with those before the Lord. Be honest. Don't use phony language. And there's a balancing act we, we do here because on the one hand, God is this awesome Lord of Lords and and he is the Holy One. But on the other hand, he is Abba, our Father. He's the friend of sinners. And so our language has to reflect that. It has to be a language that's, that's honest from our heart when we pray to God. I used to, as a, as a pastor, hear some pastors who had just the gift of eloquence and I thought it would be so awesome to be able to pray like that pastor, that pastor. But what I've learned over the years is that's not what God's after. He's after my heart. He's after genuine expression of what's inside. Be trusting. Believe. Don't doubt as you pray to him. Because he is this awesome God who delights in answering our prayers. That's talk. And the second thing I think that will help us as we pursue intimacy with God is time. By time, I mean our hearts can get so crowded at, in our lives, so clear the clutter. Identify particular times when you're going to pray as a minimum. And for sure, that ought to be every day. Times where you set aside and can, and pray genuinely and with the things that are deep on your heart, the things you're wrestling with every day, God should be hearing from us. It'd be good for us to have a weekly time of prayer, perhaps on the Sabbath day when you can spend a little more focused time praying. And I thought, you know, it would be good to have a, a yearly time where I'm really focused on this intimacy with God in such a way that I'm spending some really quality time in prayer. Call it a personal retreat, where you might spend a night or uh, maybe a full day, or if you have that luxury, a full weekend, going off and having a retreat with your God. Lori goes to a place called Vision of Peace near where we live, and it's a retreat center. Uh, 
the rooms are private, very simple accommodations, very inexpensive because they've designed it for this express purpose. They don't want people there talking with everybody. Not that you can't, but that's not what people go there to do. It's designed for reading, for study, for prayer. And um, I would challenge you to create that kind of day in the schedule of your year. I'm going to do that this year. That's not because I've been doing it, because I, I want to do it. And this passage has spurred me to want to do that. So pencil it in. Put it on your calendar. And go for it. Meet with a God who whose love is better than life.